0: Welcome to episode 409 with my guest, Mary Holland. I'm Paul Gilmartin. This is the Mental Illness Happy Hour, a place for honesty about all the battles in our heads from medically diagnosed conditions, past traumas, and sexual dysfunction to everyday compulsive negative thinking. Uh, The show's not meant to be a substitute for professional mental counseling. I'm not a therapist. It's not a doctor's office. It's more like a waiting room that doesn't suck. Uh, All the social media uh, you want to follow us at, it's uh, at MentalPod. And mentalpod.com is the uh, website. Tons of stuff on the website. Go check it out. Uh, This episode uh, with Mary was recorded, I want to say, about four months ago, maybe. Um, And the reason I mention it is in our discussion there, I talk about saying, oh, last week I uh, asked a woman at a Starbucks uh, out on a date and... I didn't want anybody to think that I'm cheating on my girlfriend. So, this was before I met uh, my, my current girlfriend. Um, but it's a beautiful episode and I, uh, I hope you enjoy it. My surgery went well. I'm sitting here with, uh, one, my right arm in a sling. It took me about a minute to just get my headphones on to, to start recording. Um, I do have the use of my left hand and I'm finding out, uh, just how hard it was to write as a child because try writing with the hand that you never write with it is uh it's you just feel so uh stupid i guess that's the word It it sounds a little harsh but uh it's so frustrating like i was trying to take notes for this episode i was trying to um deposit a couple of checks and i i like couldn't even like <laughs> make notations or sign the check. Now I'm I'm you know convinced the checks are going to come back cuz they're going to be like you know a child deposited your check. Who is this? Whose signature is this? But um like I said the surgery went well. Um I'm in a I'm in a sling for 6 weeks. I have to sleep sitting up, which I thought was going to be worse than it is, but I've been able to fall asleep, okay? The only thing I'm a little worried about is my blood pressure got really high. The uh, anesthesiologist was like, your blood pressure is at 166. Um, and it's always been like around 120. He said, well, it might have been the pain, but I went in for my post-op uh, today where they removed the bandage and um, and my blood pressure was like 150 over 80, which is not good. So now I'm going to go back to the doctor for this. And I'm so afraid they're going to tell me that I have to change some part of my life that I really love. Um, but I gotta, you know, I gotta surrender to what is. Um, the other thing I wanted to talk about before this episode is, um, uh, a friend of mine, uh, passed away about, uh, about two and a half weeks ago. And she was a really, really important part of my life. And I just kind of wanted to, um, pay tribute to her because she had such an important impact on my growth, uh, as a person. And, and honestly, the things I learned from her helped me put this podcast together, to have anything to say, to have anything to share on this podcast. Um, And her name was Lisa, and she was um, what you would call non-binary. She identified as a lesbian, but sometimes she would present as a male and go by the name of Nick. Um, And she was just the gentlest soul. You know, that at her memorial service, that's what everybody kept saying, was just talking about how helpful she was. How gentle she was, um, and she—I just wanted to share some some moments um, that I had with her. Um, a lot of people, you know, we 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 think that we're not going to really affect anybody else's life in a positive way, or that after we're gone, we'll be forgotten. And at her memorial service. I was just thinking about all the moments that I had with her that uh, that I will never forget. And I thought, you know, that's something I should share on the podcast because a deep fear that I have is that um, my life will be forgettable. And intellectually, I understand that that is probably not the case, but it's an emotional feeling of being abandoned or or left behind or not being enough. And one of the things early on, because I asked, <clears throat> I was in a meeting one night and Lisa was sharing about her relationship with her higher power and and she became moved to tears talking about it. And I was new to the program at that point. And this particular support group was kind of a focus on fear of intimacy and intimacy issues and and I had never really had a female figure in my life that had the gentleness that she had and I asked her if she would help me in the program and her plate was pretty full because she was helping a lot of people at that point and um she was thinking about it, you know, I I don't remember if I said, you know, please or what, but she decided uh, to take on one more person to to help with the program, and we began meeting regularly, and the first thing that she noticed was how mean I was to myself, and it kind of caught me by surprise because I thought, if anything, I needed to be harder on myself. And she had me start saying every morning, and it was so cheesy when she said it. I was like, are you fucking kidding me? She started having me say, look in the mirror and say, <laughs> I have enough, I do enough, I am enough. And I did that for a couple of years and it didn't work. <laughs> you know, it did, it did work. It. It's it helped begin to crack open the part of me that feels like I'm broken and different and that you're going to reject me so I might as well isolate myself because I'm beyond hope. And she was the first person that put out the concept to me that I don't have to do anything to be lovable. Human beings just are worthy of love just by existing. And that kind of blew my mind, because I had always felt like, well, if I don't do esteemable acts, then, you know, there goes my worthiness. And this is going to sound like a completely different story. But it pertains, and I'll circle back to the thing with Lisa, but speaking of identifying who we are by what we do and what we have, um, I came across a YouTube video of a woman who tried to intervene on behalf of her child. She had been pulled over, and, um, and she got in the face of the policeman demanding to know You know, do you know who I am? You know, I'm the commissioner for the port authority and, you know, kind of throwing her weight around and it, I found myself getting really angry at her. Like, you know, you are the problem that, you know, you are people like you are the source of all that's wrong in our society. And when I get, find myself getting angry, that's usually an opportunity for me to stop and self-reflect and go, what is it that's that's going on underneath this? Not to excuse this woman's behavior, but to say, why does it bring up rage in me? And as I thought about it, I thought, you know, we all have our sicknesses. You know, I've had my sicknesses with um, uh drugs and alcohol and um, being promiscuous and uh, not respecting people's boundaries um, uh, making people the butt of cruel jokes um, and on and on and on and on. And I thought "This, this woman's sickness is that she is in the cult of You are what you have or what you do. She began, you know, mentioning that these children went to Yale and, you know, talking about how many homes she has. And it started to make me sad because I thought she is in a prison of her own making. And of course, she's incredibly threatened by this policeman not kowtowing to her because, that's threatening. That's an existential threat to her. Because if he doesn't tear up this ticket, then in her mind, that means that she's not as powerful as she feels she is. And then who is she without her wealth and power? And you could see that it was an existential threat to this woman. I mean, she was livid. And the other thing I was thinking about as I was watching this, and, and by the way, there was a news piece shortly after this that this was made public and she was forced to resign. And um, the other thing I thought as I was watching this was no black person would ever be able to talk to a police officer the way this woman was. She was in their face. You know, she was, you know, cursing them out. Um, She was not listening to them. She was invading their space. And I thought five seconds into this, if this were a person of color, they would be on the ground in handcuffs or shot. And this whole piece was like a microcosm of so many things that are going on in our society today. And Lisa, circling back to Lisa, was one of the people that helped me disidentify from the cult of you are what you have and what you do. And some other moments that I I shared with her, um, a really, really important moment in my recovery and learning how to be vulnerable because she was such a great example of vulnerability. Um, We were in a meeting and she had shared about a relative who had been inappropriate with her. And it brought up some memories in my mind of being a child and having experienced that from, um, from my mother. And I had never really given weight to it. But there was something about that day where I suddenly saw it with clarity. And the sadness just came over me. And I didn't want anybody to see me cry, so I kind of had my head down. And when the meeting was over, I really wanted to just go up and, and just hug somebody just have somebody hug me and just cry on their shoulder and another part of me just wanted to get the fuck out of there because I was embarrassed and as I was contemplating what to do she came walking up to me and she immediately saw you know my eyes were red and she said are you okay and I said no I'm not and she hugged me and I cried It was probably one of the most cathartic cries that I've ever had. I think it was the first time I really, really began to feel the grief, um, that I didn't allow myself to feel when I was a, when I was a kid. And she stayed there the whole time. She didn't pull away. She didn't pat me on the back. And it, I didn't care that if anybody was looking, um, because it felt so good and so safe and so comforting and nurturing. And I I must have cried for probably three or four minutes. And I felt better afterwards. And it was the beginning of me be- considering being kind to myself. Considering giving weight to things that happened to me. Not to punish people who had hurt me, but... To open the door to begin to process the feelings that I had buried. Because those feelings, man, they dictate our addictions, our sick behaviors, you know, our isolation, you name it. They are driving the bus if we don't process those things. Some other memories I have of Lisa was she was the worst joke teller, maybe ever. She loved a good joke. She would laugh at the lamest jokes. And then she would try to retell it, and she would fuck it up. Uh She was the worst party giver. She had a birthday party one time that was hands down the most poorly organized. <laughs> couldn't wait to get the fuck out of their party I'd ever had. And, you know, it... it there's so many things that I smile about when I think of her and she was the first person who wasn't whose gender wasn't binary that I got really close to and there were so many experiences that I had with her, you know, when I shared some of the stuff from my past. I shared some of my my stories of sexualizing and objectifying women. And another thing that she opened my mind to was, you know, we were discussing how I had the effect that I probably had on these women and the hurt that I had caused them and the lasting damage that was probably there. And she said, and who else do you think this affected? And I thought well that that's it and she said this also affects other men because she is going to be less trusting of a man it's going to be harder for her next partner to get close to her and that's and she didn't do any of this to shame me she did it to open my mind so that i could hopefully grow as a person and i believe in a higher power And I really believe that she was the channel for love from my higher power and for growth. And in that service for her, you could just see... Oh, I hate this phrase, but you could see her spirit in that room. I feel her spirit. Sometimes now when I'm driving in the car, I'll just say, hi, Lisa. And I'll smile because, you know, even if there is no afterlife, that energy that she helped bring into my life to help me change, to help me do this podcast. She was a big, big part of that. And the way that the last few years of her life went were not good. She had a lot of burdens to carry, a lot of mental health issues. She went off her meds, had a um, a episode of psychosis, um that was was dealt with in a very bad way by the legal system when it really should have been a mental health system issue and I know it really tested her faith and the last time I saw her in person was I visited her in in jail she was awaiting trial and she just seemed so defeated And I don't know why people experience things like that. Um, But that doesn't take away my belief that there is something beautiful in the universe that can flow between us when we get vulnerable and honest and try to be helpful with each other. Um and I guess we don't need to know. We don't get to to know you know in our lifetime. I suppose if we knew everything and there was no pain then uh there would probably be no interesting art and victories wouldn't feel as good and joy wouldn't feel as good. I could use a little more joy, I'm going to be honest. If anybody up there's listening. Bring me a little more joy. Maybe a couple, a couple less meds. That would be nice. Five meds. That's a little, that's a little fuck you, you know? Anyway. (laughs) Those are just some moments from my relationship with her that I wanted to share because we can have an impact on people's lives. And we never know that. Sometimes an offhand comment that we make may stick with somebody for the rest of their lives. You know, saying something nice about them, something maybe that they never heard in their life. Um, now I feel like I should uh, end on some some type of joke. <laughs> I'm feeling too serious right now. Let's see if we have a happy moment that I can read. Hold on. Uh, This is a happy moment filled out by a woman who calls herself the world's shoulders. And she writes, uh, yesterday, two and a half years after my uh, daughter's attempted suicide, um I finally let go and began to breathe again. My therapist made me hold a cushion. Uh, my BPD daughter won't let me hug her much. And I had to tell the cushion all I wanted to say to my daughter. The release was immense. And what did I say? I begged her not to leave me. Please don't die. Please let me help you. I want to hold you forever until you feel well. It does uh not sound like a happy moment but the relief i feel today is enormous like i've been holding my breath all this time and i can finally let go and i'll be better at helping her now that i've expressed how i feel to that cushion therapy takes a long time but stick with it that's what i want to say there's a part of me inside that i don't want anyone to know about because it's weird and gross and lame and people will hate me <laughs> i'm here with mary holland who is a hilarious improviser uh partner of uh <laughs> a guy that i love named matt newell and uh <laughs> i saw you was it about a month ago yeah the improv group you're in called uh, wild horses and mm-hmm. the, you guys perform saturday nights at ucb theater and it's you, Aaron Whitehead, mm-hmm. Lauren Lapkiss, and Stephanie Stephanie Allen Stephanie Allen mm-hmm. who is the wife of Tignataro That's right. Yeah, you guys were so fucking funny. Thank and you. And I watching you guys, I was like, I want her as a guest, and oh, so thanks. she wasn't available, but you were. And uh, no, okay. Oh, God, I shouldn't have said that out loud. No, when that's, I was watching you,
1: um, no, that's fine.
0: I said, <laughs> as I was watching you guys, I was like, I. I I just thought you would be a great guest because oh, you have thanks. this, uh, I don't know, this kind of uh, vulnerability, uh, to yeah. you and, oh. uh, obviously sense of humor, but because you're a comedian, something has to be fucked up. Oh,
1: something yeah. has to
0: be rotten in Denmark.
1: <laughs> yeah. I mean, yeah, I think it's, it's as I've gotten older, I think for a long time when I was growing up, and even as a teenager i was I was kind of an angry teenager not not too much in that direction but but i I'd, I'd never really felt like there there was anything fucked up really I mean I had fights with my parents and with my siblings and stuff, but never felt that I like had that. Uh, uh, as deeper darkness happening. But then as I've gotten older, it's like, oh, oh, it's very much there. Oh, yeah? (laughs) Like, I've become more and more aware of it as I'm getting older and um, getting, I guess, getting to know myself a little bit better.
0: And do you feel like that's a good thing?
1: Or a bittersweet thing? It's bittersweet, I guess. I mean, I think my darkness or the the um the darker thoughts i have are i think that I the, the, when i wade into those waters and i let myself sink into that the emotions that come with that i think it feels it doesn't feel good to do but it also feels good to do like i i I enjoy wallowing, I guess is what I'm saying. There's a
0: certain familiar <laughs> comfort, like a stinky yeah. blanket. Yeah. Yes.
1: yes. It's a lot like a stinky blanket. Um, and, and I think that that gives me, uh, I, I'm appreciative of the, of the depth that it does give me. Like I, I would prefer to be a more, more layered, complicated person than to just be happy all the time, which I I think I can very easily present that, Mm -hmm. that I'm, I'm good and I'm happy and I, I am for the most part, but there's a, the, the waters run deep, I think, Mm -hmm. and maybe a bit deeper than people
0: would think. Well, can you elaborate whatever you're comfortable sharing?
1: Yeah. Um, I Can, well, like you sort of mentioned at the beginning, like negative thinking uh, about like myself, that's something I really struggle with. I don't know if it's on the level of, I feel like I've been in depressive states. Mm -hmm. Like I've never, I don't think, coped with depression for um, a long or an extended period of time it's more like there will every now and then i'll just like hit a patch where i'm just i'm kind of consumed with these thoughts of i'm nothing i'm i i don't deserve anything like that is a mantra that will repeat in my mm-hmm. head like i'm i'm nothing i don't deserve anything I, I and i i kind of go into this this existential like <laughs> Well, who do I think I am? Like, and and how do people like look at me and talk to me? Like, how am I in the world? I guess nice. is like it just kind of very quickly spirals into, um, me thinking I'm really not worth anything, and and the and people when people, I I feel like I'm fooling people or like I'm a fraud or something. Oh my
0: God, that is so common. Yeah. It's one of the most common things that people say, not only personally, but professionally. Right. People in graduate uh, school, people with jobs that other people envy, they talk about feeling like a fraud. Right. And I think feeling invisible or if we are seen like they don't have all the facts
1: right right if the people exactly. that like me or Ugh, love
0: me really all the facts <laughs> yeah they would second guess or their standards are just so fucking low
1: yeah yeah i i also like i've been having this thought recently which is i've been looking at my past my past relationships specifically friendships and i've had the thought recently of oh i think i'm actually a bad friend i think i'm I, I i think i'm a good friend in a lot of ways but the the thing i'm i guess i've been struggling with recently is like i look back at my past friendships and so many of them like, I've had a few friends that I've had since I was 15 or 16. My childhood friends were more like acquaintances now. Like, I don't mm-hmm. really... that We don't see each other that much. We don't talk that often, you know. And then my close friends in college are no longer my close... Or not as close as, mm-hmm. like, we once were. And I know that it's natural for... People to grow and change, and you know some, relationships, some friendships. Like you, you drift apart from people, and that's normal. But but I've been looking at it and and thinking, oh, I haven't maintained, except for maybe the exception of like, with the exception of two or three people, I haven't maintained a long term friendship with somebody. Like I feel like I as I've changed, I've let friendships just fall by the wayside. I don't know how true that is or if that's my perception of it, but that plays into the fraud yes. thing as well.
0: <laughs> um, I'm going to take a wild guess that you can be a bit of a people pleaser.
1: No. <laughs> <laughs> no, that's completely wrong. Um, yes, that's very true.
0: <laughs> um, and I also get the, the sense that there was somebody in your family that you felt that you had to uh, be something for to keep the family running smoothly. You
1: know, it's so fascinating that you bring that up. I have never thought about that, but um, I recently started going to couples therapy with Matt and – it's it's been such a great experience for both of us, but that was a thing that has come up when we've been talking about how we deal with conflict and what our mm-hmm. paths are and all that. That's something that the therapist brought up, and I was like, I I never considered that I played that role, but then I can I can really see how I did. Like I, I think that that is very accurate of what. I'm I'm the youngest of three, and um, my parents—they're uh, both physicians—and you know worked long hours, and um, there was a lot of—I I think in every family that with with even just one child, not and even more so with multiple children, but. The stress of the daily household, everything yes. running, I think, got to affected my parents in different ways. And as I don't know if it had to do with me being the youngest or if it was just what I saw my role as, but I, I, I was like, I need, I need to go, I need to do something or say something that's going to make this not stressful or like because I, I s- saw how the stress affected.
0: And did you them. feel like then your needs would be an added burden? And so, if if yeah. you can just be a good uh, and perfect, <laughs> yes, if you can be a balm rather than a yeah. thorn, uh,
1: yeah, everything will be so. okay,
0: and you'll be loved.
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think so, and and I I think too that I was very emotional as a kid. Like I I I had tantrums, and I was. I think I was demanding emotionally. I um but it, yeah. So I I don't think I necessarily shoved everything aside in the service of my parents or other people, but I, I there are specific instances I can remember of me being like seeing my mother like stressed to the point of tears and feeling like it's my job to like mm. I can I what can I do to fix it and what can I what do you think that comes from I guess it It the. I don't know I I'm just kind of starting to like be aware of that and and see how that's like playing into all my other relationships currently or as as an adult um and I don't know, I don't know what the root of it is, or like w- i I'm, I'm
0: I'm the exact same way, yeah and, um, I don't know, is it a sensitivity uh, I, I i don't know, but I remember Maybe watching I'm, thing, I'm yeah. the youngest, but uh, only two kids, but I remember watching conflict that I wasn't involved in, but it being agonizing to me, yeah, and feeling yes. like. I had to do so. It was like I could feel, either the the, you know, if it was public, it was just. Uh, I just wanted to throw a big blanket over it and yeah. or run away or something. And it wasn't anything out of the ordinary, but right. it just, it, it was unbearable. Is that the
1: sensitivity? Just- I that makes yeah, that makes sense because uh, I'm very sensitive. <laughs> Yeah. I'm really sensitive, and um, so I would believe that the you're just keenly aware of other people's feelings and not wanting any like i I remember I used to upset it still does upset me so much to think about my parents being sad or being being hurt by like when my my brother, who's older, was in his teenage years and there were fights, and I wasn't quite in my teens yet. And I would see the fights that would happen and how it affected my parents. It broke my heart. Like, it was like, just like you were saying, like, I do anything I can to, yeah, really affected me.
0: (laughs) Did you feel like things, like it was going to destroy something that, like, something would be lost forever? Yeah. Yeah, I think there was always that feeling in me, like this is going to wreck something going forward. That this isn't just yeah. a self-contained moment that people have that they're yeah. going to get through. It right. felt like an existential threat.
1: Which and how that has affected how I deal with conflict is when when I do something wrong in a relationship and um, either romantically or with a friend, and, and they're like, "Hey, that hurt my feelings when you did that." I can't just be like, oh, I'm sorry. I didn't intend that and I'll do better and just move on. I cannot. I have to go into a room, (laughs) turn off all the lights, sit on the floor in a corner and beat myself up for like for
0: hours. You are the female me.
1: Really? Oh,
0: yeah. That's fascinating. I take it as... I didn't do something wrong. I am wrong. Yes,
1: me too. And me they, too. They
0: say that that is the difference between guilt, like healthy, brief guilt, and you know, self-reflecting, going, okay, I'm sure. not going to do that again. And shame, shame, toxic shame.
1: Yes, which I think I am cloaked in.
0: Where do you think that comes from? Were you did you have an experience as a child that where you felt ashamed, or it was something was traumatic, or
1: i think i i, I want i would be curious like if i were to go under hypnosis or something if something if i've buried something in there because i can think of instances where i was told you're too sensitive or you're too mm-hmm. or like uh you're you shouldn't have this emotional react like small moments of Mm-hmm. very light-shaming. <laughs> but uh, as for like a specific big event, one doesn't come to mind immediately. Well, you
0: know, as you say that stuff, that there doesn't need to be a big event if there are moments like that. From what I understand, I'm not a therapist, yeah. but I was on cable TV and I cooked some delicious stuff <laughs> <laughs> paired with movies. <laughs> um, there, The negating of one's own feelings in childhood can... Set up a, it, it can set the stage for depression, anxiety, self loathing. Mm-hmm. I mean, because if you think about it, self doubt and self loathing short circuits any kind of healthy neural pathway. So it, it's almost like it, instead of the, you know, the impulse going to the front part of the brain where we can process things. With uh, some objectivity, it goes to the fight or flight part of the mm. brain, where, like my very it's
1: life or death.
0: It's life or death. Yeah. Even though we intellectually know it, our central nervous system is <laughs> yes. reacting as if this is fucking awful. Yeah. 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 Talk about what it feels like in your in your body, and and in your head, in in that moment when. When shame comes up, any any examples you can think of would be would be great.
1: The visual that I always have with it since I started understanding that shame is the emotion I'm feeling, I, I don't think I understood that 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 was what that feeling was. I just knew that it was it was very murky and very dark, and I couldn't. It was a sadness that was deeper than just sadness. It was like uh oh it was like it felt like i was being the 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 visual i have with it is of this like very very tall creature with a long 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 black cloak that comes up behind me and just puts the cloak around me and i'm just like i'm cut off like i'm isolated and I just like, I see myself just putting my head down and like just dripping and covered, completely consumed in like this dark blackness. Wow. <laughs> so that's what it feels like. And <laughs> yeah. Wow. And I can't emerge from it. Like, like you said, even knowing intellectually, that's what's happening. I can't I d- I don't have the tools yet to combat that or or em- emerge from it. I don't know how to navigate it. Like it's just so from, isolating.
0: From what I've heard therapists talk about and from what I've read, there's a couple of, of things that might help with that. One is cognitive behavioral therapy, and the other is um stuff where you process uh, trauma, even if the event itself wasn't trauma, the fact that we perceive it right. as traumatic is what's important. Oh. And they call that, um, they, they, the, the term for it is big T and little t trauma. And so little t traumas would be, um, frequent occurrences where you just feel like, oh, the mistake I made is shameful or
1: mm.
0: having to stuff your feelings because mm-hmm. it wasn't, uh, a good time to do it or the family didn't want to hear what it was that you yeah. were you were feeling those things are traumatic because i think that little kid brain needs to process it and needs to know that those feelings are normal and, and valid. okay and valid yeah. and this that everybody feels those things but Ugh. when we think we're the only one feeling those things and this isn't to um demonize your your parents right. um, this is just this happens a ton. Yeah. And so EMDR is a great way to process um feelings of trauma and um somatic therapy is another mm. way or somatic experiencing is another way to release trauma from the body. There's a there's a ton of different ways to uh to do it, but do you find yourself physically tensing up a lot? Or is that? Yeah. A, yeah.
1: No, yeah, I think that does. Or I get very languid. I sort of just sink into a, into, I become like liquidy, like mm-hmm. just kind of a puddle.
0: Um, With like no energy? No energy. Oh, okay.
1: Or kind of no energy. I have enough energy to really beat myself up.
0: Okay. Yeah. <laughs> but that's but, nice. You have that reserve tank.
1: Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but uh, but actually, now that when so you, it's not
0: relaxation in that moment necessarily.
1: No, no, no. Okay. It's just kind of a sort of uh, che-
0: a like checked out.
1: Yeah, uh, or just sinking into the, I see. just sinking into it. Like not necessarily not apathetic, but just kind of surrendering to the the flood of what's happening. I see. Um When you, I, I do, I can think of a trauma actually where I think maybe this does come from. <laughs> I tell it sometimes because it's like, I tell it as like a funny story cause it is kind of funny, but it's also, I also, I think that is definitely an instance I can point to where this might've started taking hold. And it was when um my parents, were hosting a Super Bowl party, and they had a bunch of their friends over, and their friends' kids came over and um my dad had this t v room thing where he had set up a projector and it was like a cool room. you felt like you were in a movie theater um and so they were in there watching the football game the door closed, and the kids were out like playing in this um our like playroom basement playroom thing. Um, which was just outside the door, so we were. I was like six, my brother was 10, um, my sister was eight, and then our friends were around that same age. And my, I, I don't remember what it was specifically, something upset me, something m- my brother did upset me, and I started crying. And uh, I don't remember what my sister did in this whole thing, I just remember my brother. I started crying, I was upset, and I my brother was like kind of showing off with his friends and was they were laughing at me. I and it started make that started making me more upset. And I started to get like really kind of hysterical. Mm-hmm. And my sister, I think, was like, go get mom. She's <laughs> she's freaking out. Mm-hmm. And my brother I saw him go over to the door where that led into that TV room and he opened it and he said, Mom, dad, it's that time of the month again. And I didn't, I didn't know what that meant as a six year old. Right. I thought, but I interpreted it to mean here she goes. She's doing her monthly, you know, breakdown or whatever. She does this every month. She like has a hissy fit, blah, blah, blah. It was so dismissive of how upset I was. And, And and the fact when he was like it's that time of the month I was like oh my god do they talk about this like this happens a lot you know like that's kind of the the thoughts that I was having I got so mad I felt so out of control that I threw up (laughs) like
0: I wow that's trauma yeah that is trauma I mean
1: yeah fuck
0: (laughs) that's in that moment is I'm imagining what it is like to be that kid the the thought is oh, I'm different and I am a burden.
1: Right, right, yeah. Like there's
0: something broken in me. Yeah. When in reality, you're this beautifully sensitive kid. I mean, sensitivity is such an awesome thing to have, but so many of us run into, as we grow up, being shamed for the very thing that can make the world better.
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I, I uh, there are instances when I'm like, oh, I wish I wasn't so sensitive. I'm, for the most part, I'm grateful that I am. I think it's, I'm happy to be feeling so much, but, but also I think I really, I, it leads to me reading into situations and kind of mm-hmm. interpreting, seeing things, meanings that aren't necessarily there. Um But yeah, in that instance, it was very much. Uh, and I have, when I have night, the nightmares that scare me the most
0: are about the Super Bowl.
1: Are about the Super Bowl. Yes. Are about like, you know, (laughs) who's going to win? You know what I mean? It's, (laughs) um, are about being dismissed, like having, being very upset and being sort of like, here we go. Some, like I have with Matt, when I've had nightmares about him or about our relationship, it's that he, no longer has any kind of um, acceptance or love of my emotions or support of them. So you've you like, drained
0: him with your yeah, with who you are yeah who you are is too much yeah you occupy too much space in this world. That's a common one that I hear people yeah people say yeah I just feel like I'm um you know taking up. Room. too much room I'm too much yeah I'm just too much
1: yeah totally that's what an a awful feeling thought I've had in my head too.
0: as cheesy as this sounds if you could get in a time machine and adult you go talk to six-year-old you in that moment what would you say <sighs> or do
1: I think I would just oh, it's gonna make me cry <laughs> I think I would just um kind of kneel down and get on her level and and just hug her and tell her it's okay um, yeah, I think someone I think that's what I needed, and I think i, I because my brother announced it like that, my parents didn't know the severity of the situation or how upset i was um so i didn't get that in that moment and then i threw up and that was (laughs) crazy um i don't remember how that was dealt with afterwards but yeah i think about like just being enveloped and and yeah and, and that thing of like I would be upset too. That's very upsetting. What happened? Like the validation of of that I'm not crazy <laughs> for being so mad or sad. Yeah. Yeah. And I think about I don't I don't have kids, and I, I don't know if I'm going to have them. But I think about that a lot. Where I'm like, ugh. The the one thing I would do or be sure to do is. Like, hear what they're feeling and tell them it's okay. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> oh,
0: no, this is the shit that we need to hear that yeah. somebody else is feeling. Right. At least for me, it's so helpful to know that other people feel as shitty as it is that they have had moments like that.
1: And I don't know how you don't – how you, as a parent – how you can avoid it like it's just gonna happen
0: and this is not to assign blame to parents they i can't imagine how hard it is and there, you know there's certainly been times on the podcast when uh, you know i take something a parent did to to task or get on my soapbox about it but for the most part they're fucking human beings and many of them are emotionally stunted because they weren't given the tools right. they needed as, as kids. And they're worried about the fucking mortgage or right.
1: in There's some, so some other things. thing. What
0: do you think little you would have said to you
1: at that time? Or yeah. Yeah.
0: yeah. Oh, or how do you think she would have reacted?
1: Man. Ah, I would hope that little me would rush to the side of someone who's having a, an emotional experience like that. And I, f- I think,
0: I mean, when, when the adult you is right. holding her.
1: Oh, I see.
0: Yeah. But I'd be interested to hear the other yeah. one as well.
1: <laughs> I don't know if I saw myself. I'd probably just be staring at myself. Um, ugh, I think I think I would. I would. Uh, I would just sink right into that hug. I. I would just like. Be purring like i'd just be like oh good i'm safe i'm and i'm like my mom i used i was very sick as a as a baby and slash toddler so my mom had to stay awake with me a lot my medicine would keep me up at weird hours and she'd have to stay awake with me and there's this rocking chair in my room um and she would she would like put me on her lap and she would just rock just hold me and rock and it was so soothing. Like I, I'm sure I fell asleep quickly, but I, I just remember sitting there and just like rocking back and forth and just looking at the ceiling or whatever, and just being so calm and peaceful. And I think that's probably what my little self would have done in that moment yeah. if I had been, you know, comforted in that way. Um. Yeah. Yeah, I think sometimes I just need to be held.
0: (laughs) The exact same way. Yeah. Exact same way. Yeah. There's times I just want to lay my head in someone's lap and just have them stroke my head and say nice things. (laughs) Right. And it feels, as a man, so self-conscious to say that (laughs) out loud, but there is still... The little boy in me that yeah. um, is, is afraid and feels like too much and yes. wrong and bad. And um, there was a, a moment, and this is one of the reasons I'm a big fan of somatic experiencing, but there was a moment um, a couple of sessions back where I was reliving a trauma that I had experienced and I got to say what it was that I wanted to say in that moment. And I, I felt Felt it with my whole body. Look, my body was mm. convulsing, and 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 I pled with the, mm. the person, "Please help me." And and she was you know squeezing my arm and saying i'm here you're safe i'm here you're safe and there's a part of my brain the whole time that's like this is weird right <laughs> you are so lame but there was another part of me that wants to heal that was giving into it yeah. and and leaning into the sad and the fear to let that that stuff out and yeah. i think when we shove that down it uh, it affects us it's going to come out as compulsive behavior or sadness or withdrawing or anger or right. god knows what what else Right. Um you mentioned being angry as a as a teenager. Yeah. Yeah. Can yeah. was there anything el- more that you wanted to no, share? No, no.
1: I that that felt yeah. No, I think that 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 is that moment, yeah. How, what we discussed there that felt like very much
0: and we can get well, that, that as adults that's the thing us. to remember yeah. and why it's so important to have a good support group yeah is, and to communicate with our partner is so we can ask totally for those things because those are not weird those are not <laughs> right. too much those are like super human and normal and we're social beings right yeah right we're going to pause here for a second so i can tell you about our sponsor Today's episode is brought to us from Be Frugal. If you're an online shopper, you have to try Be Frugal. Uh BeFrugal lets you earn cash back from over 5,000 stores, including Amazon, Walmart, Target, Macy's, and more. You just find the online store, click the link on BeFrugal.com to activate cash back and complete your purchase. Or download the Be Frugal extension for your browser to automatically apply coupon codes and activate cash back as you shop. They add the best deals from around the web every day and you'll earn the highest cashback rates guaranteed up to 40%. It's accessible via PayPal, direct deposit, gift card, or check. Find everything from electronics, clothing, and footwear to home goods, beauty, toys, travel, and more. You're already shopping online. Why not get paid for it? Even earn cash back on your holiday shopping. So visit BeFrugal.com mental and get a $10 bonus when you join for free. That's b e f r u g a l dot com slash mental.
1: Uh, yeah, as a as a teenager, i I fought. It's interesting. I think I had a a kind of like, I had like a mini rebellious streak, but not really, because my brother really had one. And like I said, seeing the – him and my – how hurt my parents were when he fought with them and he uh, – uh, not disobeyed is not the word I'm thinking of, but was like – didn't
0: – Was indifferent?
1: Yeah, or like didn't – like kind of didn't play by their rules and was dismissive of their rules or, gotcha. or whatever. Um Uh, I saw how that affected my parents and it really, it made me so sad when my parents were so sad. So I feel like when I got into my teenage years and I had my own kind of like, no one gets me (laughs) Mm -hmm. or whatever. It it wasn't, I was sort of had one foot in both worlds where I was like, I like had all these emotions and these, all these desires to be popular and be liked and be desired, you know. Uh, by my peers and you know the social circle I was in, but then at the same time, so I would like lash out at my mom, or I'd I'd say I hate you or whatever, and then immediately, a few hours later, I'd be like, I'm sorry, I love you so much. <laughs> <laughs> like I I didn't fully lean into the right. the angst
0: of it, um. And, and so funny in that in that moment when we're lashing out what we really want is can I have a hug? I know. <laughs> you know, can I tell you that I'm afraid yeah. and I feel like a piece of shit? Yeah. But it's that's not even on our radar.
1: Not even. No. And I think my mom would have really listened. Like I I I th- I I think some of the little traumas I had as a kid and a teenager were when I when I was kind of sad about something and my mom didn't have time to like deal with it or or was annoyed about something else like I I where my whatever I was going through was not important at that time um but I think I I feel like she wanted would have wanted me to come and be like I feel like shit yeah she would have she would have wanted (laughs) yeah
0: to know and that's that's again why I stress this is not about assigning blame to a parent it's just you know kids are gonna fall have moments of falling through cracks right in, in childhood but um I think it's how we come back together after those moments that yeah can strengthen relationships and and give us those tools and rewire that part of our brain that feels like I'm going to be left behind. When I feel like I'm going to be left out or left behind, my central nervous system Fucking freaks out, yeah. And I feel like I'm gonna start to cry, Ugh, and I feel rage I really in this. my. A head feels like it could reheat coffee. You know, it's just
1: yes. I I get the feeling that my blood is boiling, and it's it's not. Um, I wouldn't say it's like I, I, I There must be anger in there, but it, it's like a, it's in my veins. It's like this this like, oh, that's like very. Electric feeling in my veins of like the same. I have the exact same fears of being left behind or left out or like, or not being liked or someone else being liked more. I, I feel like I'm growing out of that a little bit more, but as a teenager, it was like, huh? I. Oh, God, if they, if they like this person, then they can't like me anymore. Right.
0: That there's only enough to love to go around yes. in, the, in the world. In the world, yeah. yeah. I used to think that if I wasn't the funniest person in the room in any given moment, that I would fail in my profession. Ugh. And thank God, at a certain point, I realized, you know, everybody isn't everybody's cup of tea.
1: Totally, yeah. Yeah, and how freeing that is when, we, so when, when it really is. That sinks in, because yeah. you can know that logically, but it takes so much practice to oh, yeah. educate and, yourself. About and
0: then that. you can be there for other people yeah. and be happy for mm-hmm. them instead of feeling like, and you know what? There was a guy in my support group, and here's why support groups are so awesome. This guy had only been coming for maybe three weeks and he shared it in a meeting one time. He said he was talking about one of those moments when he couldn't be happier for his friend, and then he had an epiphany. He said, "It suddenly occurred to me that your victory is not my loss."
1: Right. And
0: right. something that just stuck with me yeah. to this day, and I can't always get there, but it's so important to remember yeah. remember that that. Yeah. Um, and I wonder if that comes from experiencing, um, a, a childhood where we felt like we were too much, you know, mm-hmm. and it was going to run out by the time we needed something.
1: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I don't know. I don't know either. Yeah. Uh, I, do you get FOMO? <laughs> the fear oh, of me- I get it so oh. bad. Yes. I get it so bad.
0: Yes, I even uh, have a, a word for it when it happens on Facebook, getting face-fucked. Like, if you if <laughs> if you see that somebody had a party and you didn't get yes. invited to it, you got face-fucked.
1: You got face-fucked. Yeah.
0: Uh, it, yes, it is. And yet there's a part of me that doesn't want to participate, that doesn't want to be, that wants to control a social situation so I'm not uncomfortable. Yeah. It's, it's... Uh, <laughs> I realized about a month or so ago that what I really want is to be loved by every single person, but have them leave me alone until I decide I want to talk and then have them drop everything they're doing.
1: <laughs> Which is reasonable. I
0: think it's extremely reasonable. <laughs> and it's so childish. but It is. Ch- yeah. It's, it's, but it,
1: I totally relate to that.
0: Do you, do you think that comes from us? Having social anxiety and wanting to try to control that and, and going back and forth between being needy and isolating mm-hmm. and, and trying to have them both.
1: Yeah. 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 Very. Yeah. I think so. I, I really like parties are so hard yeah. for me. I do not, I don't go to a lot of them. I, when I do go, I'm like, okay, just have fun. Just have fun. Just have fun. <laughs> But the the anxious part of me is I wanna make sure that I'm that you like me and you're having a good time with me and so I cannot relax in this environment because I have I need to control this. I need to control how I'm perceived and if you enjoy me and so I can't just relax and enjoy
0: you. Right. <laughs> enjoy Who do I need to myself? be so you don't yeah. talk bad about me when this small talk is over? Yeah. Yes. Small talk to me oh is God. so draining and Same. And, and just I, so much tension. It's it, like somebody might as well say, "I smell smoke." Do you smell smoke? Uh,
1: it's, it's wrenching. That's, what I, that's to me. what I
0: feel like. But if we start having a conversation like you and I are having, yeah, I suddenly relax. Yeah, because it's it's like I, I I don't know.
1: I don't. It's know It's like suddenly either. all the
0: windows are open and there are escape routes. Yeah, I don't feel trapped.
1: I also have been noticing this thing recently where I'm like, why don't I want to like, I want to be anonymous in public unless, unless I'm choosing to have, like if I'm meeting a friend for coffee, then I'm excited to do that. And I I know it's, is, that's a social situation and I'm entering into it. But if, if I'm just like out in the world and I, I'm like, Alone, but in public, I love that. But if someone, if a stranger starts talking to me, oh, nothing makes me want to run away. And it doesn't depend faster. on the
0: vibe of the stranger.
1: No, I just don't. I I like oh, even if even if some if I'm if if someone like a, a at a restaurant and the the server is is like engaging with me a little bit. I'll fight against that. Like I, not that I, I don't want to be rude, of course. Right. Uh, but I guess in my head, I'm like, I'm not prepared to have this be a social interaction.
0: Oh, because you because you haven't mapped it out.
1: Yeah, or something like that.
0: It's, you don't have home field advantage in that in that it's moment. Maybe. Like like I'm gonna react wrong, or is it a fear that you're gonna be overwhelmed by something about them or you're going to react wrong
1: no i think what it is is i feel protective of my energy like i i feel sort of uh i i feel like we, uh, here's what oh actually this is what i think it is is when i'm engaged in a conversation with someone i'm really there i'm like i really it's important to me to be present and engaged in listening very intensely and that um uh takes a lot of energy that I'm happy to give so I think when I'm when there a small interaction is not a small interaction to me it's like oh, i mean, i can't engage with you right now <laughs> is right. what it feels like like i don't i need to i i need to have i need to be quiet now i need to be right. like alone and quiet and i can't give my instinct, I think, is to to uh, want to lean into whatever it is mm-hmm. and make this other person comfortable and feel like we're talking about something real. And so the, the the
0: small the small talk conversation, I'm like, what is this? What are how we do doing? I man- how do I manage this person's mood? Yeah. How do I give them what they want?
1: Yeah and and also we're not talking about anything like i'm just kind of like this conversation we're never going to see each other again i i can't i can't invest in this yeah. is like what it
0: feels like it's I like guess. you're being thrown into a play you don't have the script for yeah 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 <laughs> that's what it feels like for me in those moments but if there's a vibe to the person mm-hmm. that i feel Connected to, and there's something that we can talk about passionately, and I feel like that person has boundaries. Yeah, then it can be very energizing. But I totally understand that that feeling of oh my god, they are sucking the very life out <laughs> yes. of me. How long can I endure this? Or when are they going to take enough of a break between sentences that I can make up a lie and get the fuck out of here?
1: Yeah, yeah. Fake, well, a,
0: fake a phone call fake to a yourself. Phone call. A, Oh, oh hold oh, on my phone. Oh, sorry.
1: I'm I'm calling myself real yes. quick. Sorry. Um like I I think about that just because it's a situation I that's happened a lot in like a lift ride or an Uber ride where the the driver is talkative and is asking questions. Ugh. I or is telling me about themselves. I like I I there's shame in it because I I want to know people and I'm interested in people but I'm also like, I don't want to do this right now, and yeah. and you're telling me these things, and I don't know what to add to it. Like right. I I don't know how to just have, I don't know how to just do that without really digging all the way in, and I just can't dig all the way in, yeah. and I get yeah,
0: yeah, I th- I draining, <laughs> I, I I I get it, yeah, I get it. What is what is the saying? Uh, when you stop being a people pleaser, people aren't pleased. Yes, yes. I so relate to that. But it's um, the the few moments I have been able to allow somebody to be uncomfortable and not feel like I have to save them emotionally. I felt like I was eight feet tall Hmm. when it was done because I was like, oh, it didn't kill them. Right. They're going to survive. Right. I'm not responsible for them, but but it's so... impossible
1: not to feel responsible. It it
0: really is. For people. It really is.
1: Or for their experience with me or like, yeah, it's impossible.
0: Yeah. What are some fears? One of the games we... Well, I don't know if game's the right word, but one (laughs) of the uh, staples that we like to do on the show sometimes is go back and forth and... Just think of things that we fear, mm-hmm. not like I'm afraid of spiders, but like I'm afraid of dying alone mm-hmm. you
1: know?
0: um and then after that, things we love you know oh, great. So the more specific the the better and the more personal the the okay, better great. so um i'll think I'll think of a fear unless you can think of one
1: uh I think one that comes to mind for me is. It, this is also something that I'm like this is this is a weird thing of mine where I really want to be like desired like i wanna be sexy i wanna i want to be like so achingly beautiful and desirable and i a fear of mine is that uh is what, what hap what will happen when that's no longer like uh that's no longer even, like, because I'm in my 30s now, and, you know, I'm, uh that's kind of a prime,
0: <laughs> <Yes>.
1: <laughs> or whatever, or, I, like, I'm a woman, I'm an adult woman, and whatever, and I'm worried of, like, when I get older, you know, in my 70s or something, and, and being sexy or desirable is no longer, like, necessarily a Th-
0: This is a not thing. me just saying that, but as men get older... They find older women attractive. They're, really? Oh yeah! I was in Starbucks <laughs> the other day, and there was a woman who was as old as me, uh, if yeah. not if not older. And I just was like, she was just so beautiful, and she looked her yeah. age. Yeah. Um, and I. I asked her out. She she's in a relationship where so she said, but I felt so compelled in that moment. And I'd seen her there, you know, every Wednesday night I go to my support group meeting and I go there and I get a tea. And it'd take me about six months to work up the the nerve to ask her out. Mm -hmm. But um you people in their thirties do not look unless you're looking to date a guy in his thirties when you're seventy. Right. um, (laughs) Uh, that yeah.
1: will. It, and it's not to say also that I don't mean to say that people in their, se- women in their seventies aren't attracted no, you're afraid about
0: you being in your seventies. Yes, yes. I'm
1: afraid of like me. And, and I don't even know that I have that. I, I think that's what I want. I really want to have that. I don't know that I necessarily have that kind of like hotness or whatever. But, but a f- fear of mine is that I won't. I never will. Mm-hmm. I'm just gonna die without ever having that. And uh, I don't know. It's it's an irrational fear, they all are.
0: <laughs> uh, I'm afraid I talk too much about myself in this episode, and I've ruined it.
1: Oh my gosh! Yes. No, simply not true. Um, I'm afraid. Uh, I'm. <laughs> I'm afraid of the. Not knowing, it's tough because I. This is also something I love, but I'm afraid of. Is is this it? Was, was this? Is everything? Does everything go downhill from here? Like did I in my career with? And did I just was that my career? <laughs> and is this? And am I now never going to work again?
0: Is the be- buffet over? <laughs> yeah,
1: is the buffet over? <laughs> yeah,
0: I didn't get to try everything. Yeah. Yeah, that's a great one. Um, I am. I'm afraid that I kid myself about how much I'm growing, and that I'm actually deluded and deeply broken.
1: Mm. Ugh. I'm afraid that I'll never know who I am.
0: It doesn't go deeper than that. It doesn't go deeper than that. Who am I? Who am I? Do we ever get to know that though? I don't know. I think we get to know more about ourselves as we as we go along, but I don't think there's
1: I feel like there are people who line. know who they are, like who like are very confident and sure and like
0: I think they 're the deluded ones, because I think they 've stopped looking. I heard an right. interview with Norman Lear, who at ninety three said he is still learning stuff about himself and the world every day mm. he 's still discovering things right um, so I think as long as we stay curious and open minded uh, or by curious and open minded either one, it depends on what <laughs> what paper you 're looking in the back pages of. <laughs> Uh, No, I think that one of the best gifts that you can be given is to be curious Mm -hmm. or to be a seeker. Mm -hmm. And I think uh, the rest of it, and and as long as you have the ability to self-reflect and Mm. um, apologize when necessary, I think those are the most important things in life because um, there's going to be shit sandwiches and there's going to be – victories, but it's mm. being able to appreciate those moments or repair those moments that determines our character mm. and our sense of who we are until we spiral and we think we're deluded and broken. Right. <laughs> I don't think it ever, does it ever end? I, mean, I don't what's know. The, what Maybe not. Like, what's it like being the Dalai Lama? I'm sure he questions himself like God I'm such a fraud. Yeah. I mean can you imagine the pressure of that?
1: No. Yeah, that would be insane. Yeah.
0: Give me another fear. Or was that your last one? Mm. Did you do the last one? Is it my turn? I did it, yeah. And I I whoever that. thinks I'm of one, f- think of one. I'm a, okay. I'm afraid that I'm going to get a skin cancer. I've, uh, Mm. when I was out of the country, I part, part of it was going to Croatia and I just loved floating on a raft in the sea. And I realized how much feeling the sun on my body makes me happy. And so I've been, you know, watering the lawn every day and or just laying out on the grass because it just feels good, but I'm afraid I'm gonna get skin cancer. Oh. And I'm gonna go, You jackass.
1: <sighs> you shouldn't that, have that, laid out on the grass. <laughs> right.
0: And I know somebody's gonna say, uh, well put suntan lotion on. For one, I live by myself and I can't put it on my back. But two, <laughs> I like not being the pasty Irish guy and having a little bit of color on my skin. Yeah, also
1: vitamin D is good.
0: Yeah, I I do think it improves my mood.
1: Yeah, me too. Yeah. Yeah, Um, I'm afraid of losing my parents.
0: Where did you leave them? That's so lame. I can't remember. That's so lame. I had
1: them one minute and then the next minute they're gone. (laughs) Um, Yeah, I'm afraid. I know that that's, that's coming, and yeah, I'm so afraid. Yeah,
0: this dude loves. I love the video series where people, um, who are have only really been fans of rap or R&B listen to classic rock songs for the first time (laughs) and give their opinion on it, especially when they're, when they love it and they, the things that they say that they love it, love about the song are the same things that I love about the song. And it kind of reminds me that no matter what culture Mm -hmm. we embrace there's still a commonality uh between us and that it's not gonna end in World War Three.
1: <sighs> yes.
0: Fingers crossed. <laughs> yes. And I mean globally.
1: <laughs> yeah. Um I love speaking of videos, I love watching little videos of animals. Just being <laughs> animals and doing very human seeming things. <laughs> I love it so much. I could go down a hole for
0: hours watching them. <laughs> for some reason, this morning, when I, my ex has a puppy, we still share a dog, mm-hmm. and then she also got a puppy recently, and he's just fucking adorable. His name is oh. Grady. He's about 12 weeks old right now, and he's just so affectionate and climbs all over me and gives me kisses. Mm-hmm. And <laughs> this morning I woke up and for some reason I was singing that Elvis song "Wise Men." Yes, I and,
1: love that song. And
0: I <laughs> had this image of me dressing up in a tuxedo, laying on the grass, uh, singing that, and having him climb all over uh, me. <laughs> <laughs> and I want to do it. I that's want great. to do it. Yes.
1: Yeah. Oh, that's I don't even great. know what
0: that says about me, but <laughs> it's just the.
1: You're that very made fancy.
0: It just made me laugh. The idea <laughs> of me serenading him while he just yes. crawled all over my face.
1: Ugh, the unconditional love of, yes. pe- of animals and pets. The I best. The, the best. best. The best. Yeah.
0: Um, your turn.
1: I love. Well, I love the the. Um, as I said, this was a thing that I'm scared of, but also I love it. I love how unpredictable my life is. I love how, how it's one day to the next. I don't know what, it, what it's going to be. I that, love
0: that. That seems like such a great thing to be able to embrace because mm-hmm. for so many of us, that's the very thing that we want to avoid. Right. And yet that <laughs> keeps our lives yeah. you know, from being truly yes. exciting.
1: I feel like I my life is very exciting and it's very spontaneous and full of creativity and I, I love that. I'm so grateful for that.
0: I love when my instincts are right and I uh, ask somebody to be on the show and they're <laughs> awesome.
1: Oh, uh, are you talking about another I am guest? I'm talking
0: about Mary Holland. <laughs> Great. I just wanted to get it,
1: yes. you know, verbally said yes. so I can point back to it. Um, oh, thank you. I'm so glad I got to be on it. Um I love under I love like connecting with someone who has similar emotional experiences. Like I love hearing my own thoughts about a thing reflected in someone else, it's the
0: best. It's, the, it's best. the best. It's why I love support groups. Hearing yeah. my story, almost every night, some part of my story or my inner yeah. life coming out of someone else's mouth is—it's like that hug. That, yeah. that I think we wanted sometimes as kids, but it—you know—wasn't. Uh, we didn't have the words to, yeah. to ask for it. It's and at the support groups I go to, I can ask for it after the mm. meeting, and um, I love that. That's I love great. that there's a place where I can go. Yeah. You know, it took a while to get to that level of comfort with everybody to, to be at that point. But, um, I love how my loves are just adding on to, uh, your loves. I'm not coming up <laughs> with, with any of, uh, of my own. Let me think of a good one. <laughs> I love watching something dark on Netflix while I eat a gigantic bowl of <laughs> Chicka Boom Pop popcorn
1: Chicka Boom Pop oh yeah 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 it's so I've good. seen those yeah it's
0: so good the olive oil one and oh, yeah. then having multiple ice cream sandwiches that I have let sit yeah. for about 7 or 8 minutes so it just starts to get soft. Yeah. And then I just nibble Ugh. around the edge of it. And just that bit where you, the cake, you just get the, the oh, yeah. it's just so fucking good.
1: I think how people eat ice cream sandwiches, like, maybe some people just eat it like a sandwich. No. I do not. No.
0: You got, I, you got to go up the butt, have a whole butt crack of it. Process. Right? Yes. Yes. But you got to, it's got to get yes. melty to do the, the, yes. The butt crack of it,
1: oh, yeah, yeah. Um,
0: I just ruined ice cream sandwiches for everybody. Yeah, the butt crack of it. <laughs> I don't know what else would you call it.
1: Yeah, what else would you call it? It's yeah. a butt crack. Yeah, is what it is. Um, I love, I love the community that I'm a part of, the the comedy community. I love the people in it, and I love the, the support and the outlet and the it's it's a really incredible thing. I love it.
0: Well that's a a good note to uh to end on because I'm gonna uh again say how (laughs) people who live here or are visiting here should go see wild horses at the U C B Saturday nights at ten o'clock.
1: Yeah, yes, it's once a month. It's the first Saturday of every month. Okay. Uh at ten o'clock at U C B. And then we also have a monthly Largo show. But that that date uh, changes month to month. I got so. you. I got yeah. you. And so we have two uh, it's shows. at the
0: UCB Franklin. UCB Franklin. And mm-hmm. um, it's. I just love what uh, what you guys do. It's oh, it's great. You. And thank you so much for coming and uh, sharing your stuff. Thanks for having me. Uh, when we first recorded uh, this this episode, I know Mary was a little bit nervous about uh, that moment in the in the episode where where she cried and, um, she wasn't sure about airing it. And I was like, Mary, that is like the best part of the episode. That's, and I think that speaks to how exposed we feel when, when we get vulnerable. Uh, you know, there's times that I've considered editing out moments in the podcast where I get, uh, emotional. So I totally understand that. And I just want to, Thank her publicly for uh, rethinking that and um, uh, allowing me to, to keep that moment that moment in um, because it just made for such an awesome episode and what a what a sweet person. Uh, before I take it out with uh, two surveys, I want to remind you guys there's a couple of different ways to support the podcast if you're feeling so inclined. Uh, help is greatly needed and greatly appreciated. You can do it financially or non-financially. Uh, you can do it financially by making a one-time uh, donation via PayPal uh, or a recurring monthly donation via PayPal or Patreon. Patreon's probably the I think, the better choice because then I can... Occasionally post uh, bonus things, you know, maybe pictures from a trip or pictures of dogs. Uh, maybe I'll throw one up of my carved-up uh, elbow. Um, and uh, that that greatly helps the, the show because advertising comes and goes, and um, monthly donors are kind of the bedrock that the podcast depends upon. And um, I also understand that a lot of you out there... Are, can't afford even a dollar a month uh, because that's how little you can you can uh, become a monthly donor for Um, so you can help non-financially go to itunes give us a good rating write something nice spread the word about the podcast through social media retweet things um, repost them on on uh, instagram Um, can you repost on instagram (laughs) I, uh, I use Twitter quite a bit, but I have somebody who's helping me with Instagram because I just don't care to share pictures of my food. <laughs> um, yeah, so those are some of the ways that you can you can help the podcast. And um, let's read a couple surveys. This is a shame and secret survey filled out by a trans woman uh, who calls herself Ash. Uh, she is straight. Um, in her 20s, raised in a pretty dysfunctional environment, Uh, was a victim of sexual abuse and never reported it. I was sexually abused in the bathroom at a church by a Sunday school teacher when I was three or four and strongly suspect there was sexual abuse possibly in other places that I don't remember. I absolutely can't bear anyone other than myself putting anything in my mouth, and I feel like I'm choking just thinking about it. When I was around seven, I had to be tested for strep throat at the doctor, and even though I was virtually always very well-behaved, polite, and effeminate, I shrieked and fought so hard to keep them away from my mouth that I had to be restrained by a nurse and the doctor. To my knowledge, I never behaved like that in any other context as a child. I'm not really sure what to do with that, and I still worry all the time about the effects any of that sexual abuse has had on my weird sexual preferences, my sexual orientation, and my being trans. She has also been physically and emotionally abused, I grew up in a very strict fundamentalist Christian community, and my parents were pretty routinely physically and emotionally abusive. Highlights include being spanked with a belt to the point of bruising or bleeding, having my dad tackle me and sit on me to pin me on the floor when I tried to run away from a fight with him and my mom, and my mom trying to force me to throw up because she believed I was lying about being sick and then threatening to forcibly give me a suppository. Looks pretty fucked up written down like that. Ha. Oh, also, I was homeschooled, so that meant spending an inordinate amount of time with my almost certainly narcissistic mother and having hours of intense emotional fights with her. I was also physically abused by a handful of other people from church and one of my dad's co-workers. He was a real charmer, the the sort whose behavior seems hard even to square with our church's peculiar understanding of how to discipline children. Any positive experiences with people who abused you. Yes, I've had a huge number of positive experiences with my parents, both of whom genuinely do love me and are concerned about my well-being and are passing on what they got from their parents. That's not to say that I'm not upset with them about my childhood or that I think it is in any way justified, but I do at least sort of understand where they're coming from darkest thoughts. When I found out my dad's co-worker who had abused me had Parkinson's disease, I was relieved to think that he would probably be physically unable to hurt his grandchildren. Sometimes I still worry that I'm going to burn in hell forever and that the abuse I experienced as a kid was probably punishment from God because I was destined to be such an awful person, even though I don't believe in any of that stuff anymore. I have intrusive thoughts about killing myself pretty much every day and sort of enjoy fantasizing about what kind of message that would send to my parents about how they've affected me. Darkest Secrets. I have a weird kink that I'm almost positive is directly related to my sexual abuse as a child. When I was around 10 or so, I was sincerely concerned that I might be the Antichrist, which sounds weirdly grandiose in retrospect, but I feel like it was just a form for my worry about being irredeemably evil to take. Oops, I just turned the light off. Uh, sexual fantasy is most powerful to you. I'm most drawn to men who are kind of like guys who are mean to me for being gay when I was a teenager and I'm really turned on by feeling small and safe with them. I kind of... Uh, I kind of like being treated like a child. It makes me feel incredibly guilty and shameful like I've eroticized horrible things that happened to me as a kid and that somehow negates them or disrespects other people's experiences with abuse. Well, let me just say from all the stuff I've read, all the people I've talked to and all of my experiences, it is totally common for that to be the case. And it's what we do with that that matters and hating yourself for that um is not a way of of solving anything and so um you know invite a consenting partner into that area of your life or your thoughts or your sexuality um maybe find a um a group of people who share that uh kink but shaming yourself for that um You know, it's like shaming yourself for, you know, getting the flu or being hit by a car or having freckles or something else. It's, um, it's, yeah. What, if anything, do you wish for? I wish I'd been just born female. Being trans feels awful. Have you shared these things with others? I've shared a lot of it with my closest friends. It went as well as can be expected. They were generally understanding and didn't act as horrified or find me as burdensome as I thought they would. How do you feel after writing these things down? Like somehow they look so much worse written down than they've sounded when I've spoken them to people, although uh, especially all together in one space like this. And I think that's one of the things that our brains do to minimize it So we can survive Is it compartmentalizes each of these things. And some of our breakthroughs come in having clarity around a relationship with someone in our life is when we see the pattern of that person's behavior, because we can often explain, you know, one or two events away, but... When we see a pattern, then it's kind of undeniable, and the same goes for um, being rigorously self-honest with ourselves, looking at our patterns of behavior, and saying, "Hey, you know, this is not just, a, you know, a slip up. I'm driving drunk uh, every night. Uh, I'm finding an excuse to keep drinking, or you know, whatever it is that we're we're struggling with." But thank you for that for that uh, survey. Um, it's um i really appreciate your your vulnerability and your honesty and i really hope you can find a way to um to heal and to love who you are uh unconditionally said the pot to the kettle um but yeah you sound like a really really sweet human being uh and then finally this is a happy moment filled out by a woman who calls herself cautious and she writes Uh, I had my first appointment with a psychologist two weeks ago. I was booked in for a six-week personality assessment, after which he decided an appropriate treatment plan for me. I was incredibly nervous, but at the same time excited because I thought, this is it. This is the route that's finally going to help me. I'm finally progressing. I sat down and he explained how this whole thing was going to work before hitting me with a biggie. So what are your concerns? Concerns? What did he mean? The question was so open. Shouldn't he ask me the usual stuff? How do you sleep? How's your appetite? Do you self-harm? Do you manage to interact with friends? blah blah blah. All the things I was so used to answering in the countless appointments with psychiatrists I've had over the years. Um I'm a little con- confused though because uh, he, this person is a he's a psychologist. So I guess she is saying that she has only had the talk therapy with psychiatrists never had one with a psychologist. Um, and just my own personal opinion is that generally psychologist, a good psychologist, will do talk therapy better than a um, typical psychiatrist because they're much more extensively trained in the talk therapy uh, aspect of it. Some psychiatrists have, have had zero training in uh, talk therapy. Um, what he What did he want to know? He explained he just wanted to get to know me. He hadn't even read my file. He wanted to hear how I viewed my problems in my own words. But it was too late. I had already become overwhelmed and shut down. I was replying to his every question with a string of, I don't knows. 30 minutes of the hour-long session passed, and I was becoming increasingly upset and frustrated with myself. He said, look, let's stop this here. I can discharge you from my care now. Maybe this isn't the right time for you to engage in psychology. To which I internally screamed, listen, buddy, this may be just a Monday for you, but I've been on a waiting list for 10 months for this appointment. I can't just give up. Then he continued, you can come back next week and try again, just like this. Or you can go home, think about what I asked you, and come back with your concerns written down. I chose option three and spent the next week really thinking about how I see my issues. I arrived back the next week and sat down. He said, so, what are your concerns? I tried to speak without my notes on the spot, but the words just got caught in my throat like they had a week before. I took out my notebook and read off the two pages I had written that week. After I took a deep breath and looked up at him, he told me that I had given him the best presentation of thoughts he'd ever received from a patient. After that, it's like a floodgate opened. I was able to speak. The inability to communicate and the clamming up when asked personal questions is something I've dealt with forever. It's the reason I always gave up on therapy, and in one case, was even asked to leave the therapist's office. People think I'm refusing to engage and I'm being stubborn. That session with the psychologist was such a relief to me. I proved that I can get in touch with and then communicate my feelings. At the end of the hour, he said, you know, I really didn't think you'd show up after what happened last week. You should be proud of yourself. I was proud of myself. I am proud of myself. So awesome. So awesome. Been doing this show for eight years, and I still feel as excited reading a survey where someone describes turning a corner. In therapy or support groups, or, you know, having a moment of clarity or sticking up for themselves or, you know, being kinder or, you know, all that good stuff. And uh, before I send you guys off into the night, I got one more thing to read. Uh, The team behind Missing Richard Simmons is back with an update and a whole new story. The series is called Headlong Surviving Y2K. Remember Y2K? The Armageddon? That never happened. From an evangelical family preparing for the apocalypse to the coders who fixed the millennium bug, follow their stories through New Year's Eve 1999 and find out what happened at midnight. Plus, host Dan Taberski shares his own Y2K story. It's called Surviving Y2K because Dan Barely Did. Find Headlong Surviving Y2K in your podcast app like Stitcher, Apple Podcasts, or Spotify and subscribe. So you won't miss an episode. So uh, that's it. Thank you for listening and being uh, a part of this. Uh, dare I say, community? I'm. Al- I'm always so afraid of sounding pretentious or guru-y or new agey. Like I'm afraid that five years from now I will lose any sense of perspective. And I'm just going to be using words like, um, yeah, yeah, it's, it's, um, it's transformative in that sacred space because it's really a part of the divine journey. I don't mean to shit on people who that's helps them, but fuck them. I mean, can we be honest? Fuck them, fuck them and their robes and their sandals and their horseshit. Wow, this is this is taken a very negative turn. <laughs> I think I, I'm going to blame it on my uh, my elbow, my elbow wound and my high blood pressure. Uh, anyways, I hope you got something out of the episode and um, thanks for listening. And just remember, you are not alone. I think I did that in the reverse order than I normally do. Blaming it in on my elbow. Everybody I know is bizarrely beautiful. Everybody I know some some weird beautifully, fucked up, I know weird beautifully, up beautifully fucked up in some weird way. Bizarrely beautifully everybody fucked up in some weird way.